The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Human design is a system that offers profound insights into your inner self and how you interact with the world around you. Quantum human design takes that process one step further, allowing you to become the architect of your own reality. Join Dr. Karen Curry for Elevating Your Life Script, a weekend workshop where you transform your life by crafting intentional narratives, May 24th through 26th at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Hey, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. You are so deserving of all the joy and juiciness you can stand. I'm Lisa McCourt of Joy School, and this is Do Joy, the Vibration Elevation Podcast. Let's do some joy. Welcome back, beautiful listener people. I adore you, and I'm so happy for us to spend this time together. Ever since I changed from doing this podcast weekly to dropping a new one only every other week, it's really made me realize how much I love doing this. Because even though I need that little bit of extra time right now because I've loaded my plate a bit too full, I miss doing it weekly. So that may change soon. I love this too much to only do it twice a month. So here we are in the season of thankfulness. I am so thankful for the incredible guests I get to talk to here. And today is no different as we go into this season of go, go, go busyness with all that pressure to make it the most wonderful time of the year. And maybe that's your experience already right now. Good on you if that's the case. And maybe like many of my joy schoolers, you're feeling the squeeze of holiday pressures and all the stresses that go with that. And if that's the case, I want you to know you are loved, you are seen, you are cute as a button, and you're just right, right where you are. We're going to be shedding some light on the illusions that create our stress and suffering with our amazing guest today. I'm so excited to dig around in the wonderfulness of Chris Niebauer. Chris and I are both teachers at the Institute for Creative Living. That's how we met through our mutual amazing friend, Jacob Nordby. We're on the board together of his versioning nonprofit, which is a beautiful thing he's birthing into the world. Chris Niebauer earned his PhD in cognitive neuropsychology at the University of Toledo, specializing in the differences between the left and right sides of the human brain. He's the author of No Self, No Problem, and he was a professor at a state university in Pennsylvania for 22 years, where he taught courses on consciousness, mindfulness, left and right brain differences, and artificial intelligence. His new workbook on No Self, No Problem will be out in March of 2023. And that sounds like a very serious bio, but he's very fun and cool. And here he is. Welcome, Chris. Hey, Lisa. It's great to be here. Great to have you. I think I told you I read No Self, no, no problem, no self on my way to California recently. And of course, what I get excited about is all the places where it overlaps with what we do in Joy School and what the listeners of this podcast hear me talking about all the time. So just to give you a reference point for what they're used to hearing, 
Joy School teachings are rooted in Buddhism with heavy Eckhart Tolle influence, other modern spiritual teachers, some science mixed in from thought leaders like Greg Braden, Joe Dispenza, Bruce Lipton, Lynn, Mc Lynn McTaggart. Um, but we've never really looked at brain science through this lens. So I super love how that just ties it all up, putting this cool scientific bow on the whole thing. The terminology that I've always used in Joy School borrowed Eckhart Tolle terminology, is vertical self and horizontal self. Eckhart used these terms a lot like 20 years ago when I was a deep dive student of his work. He doesn't use them so much anymore, I don't think. But I love how they offer that correlative relationship. So in this framework, the horizontal self is the illusory self that you talk about, the left brain self. It's our name, our body, our gender, our personality, family placement, job, all those things that identify us. And the whole idea behind everything we do at Joy School is to bring this horizontal self a bit more into the background, take it a bit less seriously so that we can bring our vertical self more into the foreground of our experience. The vertical self being the soul, spirit, the only real eternal part of us, what it sounds like you're referencing as the, the right brain self. That's just the recipe for a joyful existence in a nutshell. So you can imagine how excited I was reading your book, seeing that there is actual brain science to back all of this up. And it really does correlate to the different hemispheres of the brain. That was a surprise to a lot of people uh, back in maybe even the 60s, 70s. Uh, it had some early uh, connections that were being made. And it was really when the neuroscience started really talking to the Buddhist monks that uh, really interesting connections started to be made. And not just connections, but actually some of the uh, work that uh, from observing the Buddhist, they had had to redo a lot of what we know about attention. And because the who we were studying here in the West were uh, people who didn't meditate and, and their attention spans were really limited. And so when they met the Buddhist, uh, it was so surprising that they had such an almost unlimited attention span <laughs> and they had to really go in and, and, and rework the neuroscience because uh, if you only study a certain sample of people, then that, that's where you're making your conclusions from. And so it's been a really uh, interesting connection. And, and it's really, even though I, I may have made some references 20, 30 years ago, but uh, you could see it's it's turned into a bit of a genre of itself, and uh, there's actually quite a few of us uh, working. And of course, people like Joe Bolte Taylor and um, Emma Gilchrist has done some really wonderful stuff with uh, uh, going a lot uh, really deep into to, to uh, the left right brain research. And also, what does it say not just the scientific stuff, but what does it say about being human? You know, what what's it what path does it offer? people to get out of that day-to-day -day rut and just to, to find a little bit of happiness in, in what can really seem like a, um, for so many people, uh, an existence that just goes, you know, uh, from Saturday to Sunday and then Monday starts again. And, and uh, so, uh, so the application of it to me was always the uh, motivating part. For sure. I hadn't even really thought about that as a, a attention span, um, a thing that increases attention span, it seems it's it's not only 
being able to pay more attention, I guess, to the moment, the mindfulness around it, but but sort of selectively pay attention, pay attention in a way that actually elevates our vibration instead of depleting it like most of the things that grab our attention, right? Because usually what's going to grab our attention is the, the loudest potential danger or something that we need to, you know, to focus on. So it's almost like a way to selectively pay attention to things. And the, the differences in the left and right brain with attention, are, they've been studied for a long time, but it's one of the things the general public really hasn't picked up on. But the left brain has a very narrow um, uh, attention. And, and it's it's one of the things that is great if you have a particular uh, task, maybe something at work that you have to do. But the right brain's attention is vast and global. And that's what kicks in when you're listening to music or you're walking through nature. And, and it's people sometimes feel so good after they go for a nature walk and they're not really sure why but one of the things neuroscience and is is helping us with is is kind of helping understand what's going on here when you're when you go for a nature walk and the left brain sort of shuts down a little bit and the right brain uh has that vast attention span so you're not paying attention to one tree you're you're really paying attention to the whole scene all at once and and you get out of the thinking mind and you're not talking to yourself anymore and and you're just there in the moment and that can feel so uh, so uh, rejuvenating for people, and and so that's uh, one of my go-to things. And actually, Ian McGilchrist, as much as he studies neuroscience, he he always suggests to walk through nature. To, that that's maybe the best therapy for most of us. So true, and we don't even understand you know why that's so invigorating. And that reminds me of what you uh, talk about in the book about space, like paying attention to to space. Um, you mentioned Edgar Mitchell. My joy schoolers know I had the pleasure of spending time with him when he was alive. He you know, lived down here in Florida where I live. I'd been to his house, seen his collection of paranormal memorabilia, which was like just so cool and impressive. And to hear him talk about how that experience just changed his life, like expanded him. I know Joe Dispenza talks about space too, but I love how you talk about it. Why should we, why should we learn to focus on space? Yeah, that's another task that the right brain is uh, specialized for and uh, moving us through space. But the interesting thing about space is that we spend so much of our time focusing on this object or some other object. And so much of that is the left brain with its narrow attention. So you, you focus on, you know, uh, if you're writing, sometimes it's even one word at a time. The right brain can focus on, again, much more um, uh, um, big picture, uh, the global scene. And part of the global scene is the space that's in between all the objects. And in the same way that a background can be really important to a figure, uh, the space is the background that creates all the figures in our lives, all the things in our life wouldn't mean anything without the space between them. But the coolest thing about space is you can't think about it. And that's why it's so important. And that's what one of the things I, um, always suggest thinking is a great tool uh, would never want to get rid of thinking it's allowing us to communicate right now so thinking is a wonderful gift but it's just one of those things you don't want to engage in continuously it's a great tool use it when you need it but like anything you want to put it away when it's not useful anymore and that's the whole balance so yeah think and then find that how amazingly joyful non-thinking is which is actually something that a lot of people are stumbling across right now and if you look on any place that sells books you'll see so many new books the joy of not thinking and that's just something that we are just 
kind of discovering as a species, thinking is a wonderful tool, but isn't it even more amazing when we take a break from it? Mm. And so the nice thing about space is you can't think about it. It's, it's, it's beyond conceptual uh, understanding. And what I mean by space, I literally mean take your attention and just focus on the emptiness that is around you. And of course, this ties so well into the Buddhist knew this, one of the main sutras, you know, emptiness is form, form is emptiness, and that's just used as a form of meditation. And when you use that meditation over and over again, you start seeing like, yes, it's the empty space. There, it's not, it's not really empty. There's something, it's, it's giving rise to the forms and things around us. And then it's a real play between form and emptiness. But the real trick with that is it provides that little gap between thinking. And all of a sudden you're aware, but you're not thinking. And that's where so much uh, peace of mind and joy and um, peace and just just a whole different type of existence that our, that our species is waking up to right now. I love how you describe that. And, and it's the space, the emptiness that where creation comes from. Right when that that's that's how we create anything new is is to go from from the emptiness. We can't, you know. Otherwise, we're we're just so full of the the known that there's no no room for the unknown. Mm. Yeah, I love that. I love that. That's you know, the way you put it too. The known, the left brain is very good at things that are well known and memorized, and uh, that's again super useful. Uh, if you're taking a test, but if you really want to get into what is the creative mo moment that has to, it has to be unknown, it has to be exploring something that is new and, and you're bringing it alive into this, into this existence. And, and it can't be known because then you didn't give birth to it. And it has to be something strange and new. And, and usually it's something that um, no one really knows. The thinking mind is so uh in the dark about all this it has no clue and that's why i love the creative process because uh you, it seems that no matter how hard we try to work at it it's very difficult to put into a formula where the thinking mind can actually generate great creativity and it, it, that's because the thinking mind only plays a small part of it and so if you want to be creative in physics yes you study physics for a long time but as einstein put so well all of his creative insights came when he stopped thinking and i think he put it he swam in silence which mm -hmm. i think is a nice way to put it and um and that's when the scientist stops thinking and they go for a walk in the woods and that's when creativity happens and it's it's such a cool mystery because it is the unknown yeah it's it's happens from that that empty space and that's what moves humanity forward that's what all of evolution and expansion is it's gotta gotta come from swimming in the silence it's a really poetic poetic expression to have come from einstein i love that we uh we talk in joy school about lowering the power of the default mode network i don't think you actually use that terminology in the the book it's just that habituated programming of the left brain right yeah it's good that's a uh so cool that you brought that up because um, I was going to put the default mode network in, in my book and and we sort of thought, well, we're giving people enough to work with. And, mm -hmm. <laughs> but if you're familiar with the default mode network, it actually has so many, uh, it overlaps so well with what the left brain is doing. And uh, so the, the connections there are really obvious because it's the mind wandering 
it's the it's the going back into the past or, or anticipating something in the future and so and it's that same structure that they find when you meditate it, it seems to mellow out a little bit and so and the sense of self um all that uh, sort of dis dissolves when we turn down the default mode network and so it parallels so nicely with what the left brain is doing yeah absolutely and and getting conscious of it noticing we, we you know do a lot of being the observer like Eckhart talks about mm -hmm. so becoming conscious of it it allows you to take a little bit of control of it and then when you can turn down the dial I guess that's when the right brain comes more on deck right because it'll fill in that space if you turn down the dial on left brain yeah and and I think it's I think the right brain because if you look at the people who study left and right uh, brain um, science and, and the right brain's always on it's you know so it's there's always that silence it's always there but like we started when we first started talking we were talking about attention and that's the interesting thing uh, there can be great peace in your skull there could be great joy but if you're not paying attention to it then it, you're not noticing it and so it's a, it's kind of remarkable how much can go on in the in our lives and we don't notice that we're not noticing it. And like it's a, so it's a little trick that people start to pick up when they meditate, when they become the observer. And see all the, 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 when you start listening to the voice in the head, that's all working your attention. And you're all, you're starting to practice your attention. When you start focusing on your breath and meditation and, and people say, oh, it's so difficult because I can only focus for maybe two seconds. <laughs> and, but it gets a little bit better every time you do it. And what you're doing is, is you're, you're, you're increasing your capacity for attention, which, and that's what Buddhist monks are doing, and they, but they've had maybe 20 years of doing this, and then they can show that um, to the shock of Western scientists, they could focus their attention for an hour uh, and then without any effort, really, because they had done the work to uh, practice this for so long. And so... Um, and it, when I, when I start with someone who's just starting to meditate, I, I really focus on just taking really small steps because sometimes we, we talk about this and then that becomes such a goal. And you start saying, well, look, there's a, if you work with meditation, there's this amazing joy and you're already enlightened. You just don't know you're not. And then all of a sudden, then that becomes a little bit too much of a, a carrot that becomes a little bit too much mm -hmm. of the reward. And that's what people come fo become focused on. So I always step back a little bit, like tiny steps. Everything is like small steps. Just become the observer. And even if you have just, and it, many meditators have pointed this out, they said, if you just have one conscious breath a day, sometimes that will be enough to fo focus your attention, to start to notice a lot that you haven't noticed before, including the peace that's already there, um, the non-self awareness, um, the vertical self, as you, you started off with, um, the deeper self, uh, the consciousness that, that's ever present and, and, and eternal and beyond any, and that's the wonderful thing about the state of consciousness, there are no problems in it. <laughs> but the, the trick is if you say, look, there's a state of awareness that you're experiencing right now, you just don't know it, um, but then there's that trick where the left brain suddenly gets very excited about this. And the left brain says, and, and it has the egoic self, it has, it has all these concepts with it, and it wants to take that, those concepts and drag it into the emptiness of space and silence. <laughs> and that's, it just, it doesn't work. And then, then that's a lot of people, when they start off with meditation, at least for me, I know, you know, 
when I first started off with meditation, I made every mistake a person could make. And of course, one of the main mistakes I made was my conceptual left brain self wanted to become the peaceful, uh, eternal existence of the right brain consciousness. <laughs> and it just, um, and, and, uh, and it, it was, it was much more effective instead of taking some like, oh, in fact, I actually, my first book was actually self-published and I actually called it the, Neuro the neurotics guide to avoiding enlightenment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to um, need that one. <laughs> yeah. I'll send you, you know, it, it, it had a very short, uh, shelf life. Um, and, and as, and as a writer, I, I made lots of mistakes with it. And, and so when I found a publishing company, they were so uh, kind and, and helpful teachers to um, help me articulate and put things in a way that was more accessible to people. And um, sometimes people say your first book you write for yourself. And because I was just having so much fun with it. I mean, there would be times I was writing and I was just laughing, you know, it was just so, so much fun. Um, but uh, but the whole point of the book was is, is that um, the, the enlightenment can become too much of a goal, and then when when enlightenment becomes the goal, it's the same thing that happened with the self help movement in the '60s. Suddenly, um, you know, uh, we became so obsessed with self improvement that it, it wasn't that much different than when we look at the goals of people who want to make money, and how endless that can be. And, and people, you know, it's remarkable that there are billionaires and, and they want more money. And, and the, the reason they want that is because that's the left brain mode of processing. And it's great for 40,000 years ago when our species was surviving, uh, you know, we had to deal with uh, ice ages and we, we didn't have microwaves. And, and so having this neuromodule in the left brain that uh, really was always thinking about the next thing and always trying to improve and it was never at peace because it always wanted to strive for improvement. Um, you could see how useful that may have been 40 or 50,000 years ago, but so much has changed. We're living in a, a world that's so different than our ancestors. For so many of us, um, we've got our basic needs met. And if you, and once you get your basic needs met, once you're not, like I'm not worried about an ice age right now. I'm not worried about uh, an animal coming in to the, my office and attacking me. Or, or I'm not worried about being anyone's lunch. And so that, that really shifts the, so we have to evolve as a species and recognize that, well, the way I put it, there's two, and a lot of people put it this way, we have survival mode and that's the left brain and that's the, I want more. And it's a, it's a very easy cycle to get on and it creates billionaires in the world <laughs> and, and billionaires who want more money. My favorite quote, I, I quote, um, Rockefeller all the time because someone asked him once they said how much money do you need and he gave the perfect left brain answer he said just a little bit more than I have and that's so many of us can relate to that because and, and it, it's it's not useful I think to think of it as some kind of um, sin or, 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 or ultimate human flaw but just become aware of it simply become aware of it and then it that the awareness breaks our chains to it and, and all of a sudden we're like, so, you know, I could pan across my office and you'd see I've got too many guitars and I know I don't need this, this many guitars and I don't, I don't need, you know, and, but it becomes rather than a game of survival, once we shift from that mode to a mode of being and the mode of being is the consciousness, soul, whatever, I mean, so many words for it. And most people don't really care what word you use. We all know what we're talking about. 
but it's a whole it's not worried about survival it's not worried about that next piece of money or bigger house or any of that it, it's 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 content absolutely with exactly what's going on right now and it and it, it can it's it's the tension is so vast that it actually gets the cosmic picture but the whole cosmic picture can't be put into words and so that's why the left brain struggles and the left brain can't get there because there isn't something that can be thought about there isn't something that can be easily put into words the finger pointing to the moon right it's the, the buddhist expression for the ineffable indescribable nature of of right brain apparently <laughs> they, they, they so intuitively got it yeah. uh, and you know we, we we can become obsessed with the symbol the word and so many of us do you know, how many of us get our phones out in event, at some event taking pictures pictures are the symbol and uh every so often it's wonderful to just put the thing away and just be at the event and get in that state of being rather than that survival mode where you're oh we're always in this kind of state of being a hoarder you know we want to collect photos we want to you know um and that's this is something from our past and and you see that with um you know it kicks in so easily so really right at the beginning of the pandemic you know people just that that survival mode kicks in for people and they go out and they want to collect whatever kind of necessities they think they need again instead of judging it just observe it and it's been really useful for me and my own growth to to to, to just watch i actually i i've called it uh, mind 1.0 this left brain program because it's such an old survival program and I call it mind 1.0 because it's never been updated in 40,000 years and so uh, we have this old program that's obsessed with surviving and um, and, and, it's, and it's one of the things that we can be incredibly grateful for because uh, if you look at our, the, our, our species and there's a time so again homo sapiens is our species and for many people, they, they, they're not even aware that uh, a couple hundred thousand years ago, there was eight different types, maybe more, but we know of at least eight different types of humans on the planet. And so people may have heard of like Neanderthal or Homo erectus, and Homo erectus was around for two million years. And then we show up just uh, maybe 100, 200,000 years ago, and we just assume that we've been like, this is our home, we've been here. <laughs> but there were all kinds of other humans on the planet, but we're the only ones that survived. And there's a very good chance we can, we owe a lot to this uh, very old ancient program, but we're not going to find, but we're not going to find the, the peace that we're looking for if we think that we can think our way into it. And so this left this left brain program, Mind 1.0, it's it's about thinking, problem solving, surviving. Those are really useful, but as a species, it's time to move on. And and and, and I think people are picking up on this that, that that we we're already survival isn't about happiness; it's about surviving. And there and there's so much more to being a human being. It's so much more expansive. There's so many different modes of consciousness. Uh, that uh, just we can all be explorers and get back to uh, that state that I think we were in before this program kicked in. I think I think it's the same. We wonder why our dogs and cats seem to be so happy. It's because they're not thinking all the time. They're, I mean, it's very ironic that um, um, so many species on the planet uh, are doing fine. But again, without this program, they haven't 
completely altered the planet. And that's the thing about this this program. It's always trying to get more. So it's always, um, you know, how many cars are we going to have? On the, how many how, how many buildings? Um, you know, skyscrapers keep going, getting taller every year. And, and 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 every other species seems to be pretty content, kind of the way they are. <laughs> and and so I think we have a lot to learn uh, from other uh, species on the planet. And uh, they they have tapped into the uh, conscious uh, awareness that is is so much more joyful than thinking all the time. Oh, I love how you laid that out. That's so beautiful. I wonder, do you think that Brain 1.0 is on the cusp of an upgrade? I mean, I, to me, it feels like there's so much, we know there's so much potential to what we came here with, right? And so we've, we've really knocked the hell out of that that one part of us, that primitive brain, the scarcity, survival mode. We've, we've like done that. But we know we have so much more capacity. Is it all some blueprint that's like yet to unfold? Are we close to the turning point? I think about the movie Phenomenon a lot. Do you remember that movie? Oh, you're, yeah. you're a lot younger than me. Yeah, he yeah. that that always makes me me think about like that's got to be like what's going to unfold, right? We're we're going to, and maybe we're we're at a turning point where we're awakening more of the the right brain, than, and that's just part of the blueprint that we haven't lived into yet as a species. What do you think? I think that the best upgrade you can. The best upgrade comes from the recognition of the program. Mm. When you recognize it, that it's not you. So that's the interesting thing. We always go, I want, I want this, and 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 I need more, and I, but and that's just a confusion. With it's like, well, you know, it's you, the real you is absolutely peaceful, and and it's, everything is fine as it is, and 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 the real you is never bored, because existence alone has enough joy in it that there's you're, that's never bored with anything. So that alone is the recognition of the program. That's the upgrade. And all of a sudden, once you've recognized it, you, you've already went on to something much more interesting. And now it's interesting, like, so what's, what, awaits, what awaits us? And I think uh, when we, we get the left brain and we really lay out what it does, and again, it's all about survival, but it wants to, it wants to uh, predict the future. And, and control things and and so so much of what the left brain does and again it's interesting a lot of people don't know that the left brain crosses over so the way our brain is hooked up to our body there's this massive cross wiring people are not really sure why but the left brain controls the right side of the body and the right brain controls the left side of the body so most people are right-handed and that so that we, when we say well how did the world change so much and even the last 200 years and so much of it, the, the right hand went in and it actually controlled and manipulated the world and it radically changed it. And so um, uh, that, that again, is, is fine, but um, it leaves out um, of the mystery. When, when you're trying to predict something, you 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 have a sense of order and 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 you want a causes b and and some of the real great stuff that we've done with science has, has been the result of that kind of linear thinking but the right brain is and in fact there's actually a couple of papers on this uh where the right brain seems to not just require but it seems to embrace uncertainty and it really loves the unpredictable the unknown 
And I think that's the really interesting thing about when we say, okay, what awaits us? And I think there's gonna we're gonna find a certain um, kind of a spiritual excitement about not knowing exactly what awaits us. And so um, it, that 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 right brain mode of consciousness loves the uncertainty because when, when so many right brain functions are, are about just uh, think about humor. Humor is so, so contained, it's so focused on like not knowing what's going to happen. And once you hear a joke, it's like, it's not going to be as funny. But it's that, un that moment of complete unpredictable. I don't know what you're going to say. And then all of a sudden we're laughing hysterically. And no one knows what humor is. I mean, humor is like one of these great mysteries that uh, psychologists don't want to touch it. Because, because it's just, and there's a small group of you know people who do try to figure it out, but they've not really been able to do much. And I was... Uh, enjoyed lecturing because whenever I came up with a planned joke, it, it never went over well. And <laughs> my students would never laugh. And I was like, I put so much thought into that. But if I just got into this unpredictable, you know, went with the flow, uh, like when Chicks and High, you know, the idea of flow and 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 and, and time is gone, and 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 I would find that that door to that greater intelligence would be open, and all of a sudden the greater intelligence is hilarious. So the greater intelligence loves humor, and that's where all humor comes from. And so all of a sudden I was really funny, <laughs> and I wasn't. You know, it was this this connection with something and bigger. And I and people wonder they go how in the world because it's so hard to relate to someone who gets up and does improv. And there's like thousands of people and they're just making it all up. And, and, and most people who are left brain are like, how in the world do you do that? Well, they're not doing it really. Mm -hmm. They're just opening up their consciousness to, to the bigger intelligence. And that bigger intelligence, I think, loves a mystery. I think it, um, I think it loves uh, not knowing exactly what's going to happen. And so whatever future we have, it's not that we're, we're going to know exactly what's going to happen, but we're going to love not knowing what's going to happen. <laughs> I love that. that. That's one of the pillars of higher consciousness in my new book that's coming out. It's exactly that, yeah. loving the questions more than the answers. Mm. I, I'm wondering, you talked about um, the, this, the <clears throat> shift coming from recognition of the programming, like we recognize the programming. And I, I think that... Yes, I agree, but that can happen on an intellectual level. It feels to me like you have reached a kerklunk, is what we, the, the fancy term I use in Joy School for when that idea that we've heard a bunch of times goes from our headspace down into our heart space where it's actually changing how we operate in the world. It, was there like a moment for you? You talked about you know being a miserable meditator at first, like all meditators, myself included. And um, you know, like was this a gradual kerklunk for you or, or do you have like a moment of wow like when it all just kind of became your your default uh so i was thrown into a neurosis after my father died and um and it was really about death i was obsessed about death i thought i was going to die at any moment and then i became this uh, uh warrior against anxiety I, I suddenly anxiety death they were the enemy and i would be victorious and i would overcome them somehow <laughs> and i went on that you know uh, mission to 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 not be anxious to to find enlightenment, and um, and that's a tricky one because again one of the one of the first things that will happen often is we intellectualize the whole thing, which is to say thinking thinks some way that it can become enlightened, and the thinking process 
can't because the whole process of being enlightened is leaving thinking behind and recognizing other modes of consciousness. But for me, it was really a very simple moment. I, I so well remember this where I was, I was so determined to fight against uh, the nastiness and I had realized that my anxiety is me not wanting to be anxious. Like that was my, like I, the thing I was running from was the very thing that uh, uh, was causing the whole problem in the first place. And if you stop running and you just say, and it was a moment where I kind of was like, do your worst, I, I, I can't, I'm not gonna run from this and, and it's my running that's causing it. And I had this amazing moment of peace and I was like, that was very unusual. <laughs> because dropping the resistance. Well, yeah, it was just, it was the classic case of surrender, the surrendering to the moment. And and see, that's the thing. Effort is always a left brain process uh, because it's focused on trying to improve and get to that next goal. But the real improvement is made when we see that we don't have to improve. Mm -hmm. And that's what's sometimes called the self-improvement paradox. And that to me, that's what hit me. The self-improvement uh, irony, the self-improvement paradox hit me. And all of a sudden I realized if I just stop improving, I'm actually improved. Uh -huh. And so, mm -hmm. so it was a very interesting moment. And that's what sort of kicked in the title of, of the book and um, uh, for the, the neurotics guide to avoiding enlightenment. Cause I was trying to uh -huh. get people to uh, connect with like, you don't need the, you know, you don't need anything. And, and you certainly don't need an intellectual, spiritual version of it all. And that's, and so if I can help anyone avoid the 10 years of, uh, that I know, <laughs> you know, playing around with the, you made um, it out in 10. Good on you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's, it, it's so seductive to the left brain because what it does is it gives the left brain everything that it wants because all those external barometers you want to check and, and stopping all of those barometers lets you raise and joy and peace, the only one that really matters. Yeah, yeah. That's right. <laughs> so, so Chris, I always give listeners on this show a home play exercise, something that they can take into their week, or in this case, two weeks while I'm being a slacker and only doing this every two weeks to practice some bit of wisdom that, that we talk about in the episode. I know you offer a lot of experiential suggestions in your book. I had one in mind to suggest, but I thought I'd ask you first if there's something that, that comes to mind um, for you that the listeners could take into their next two weeks to practice this. Yeah, so I do. So I got a YouTube channel and, I, and I've been going through every day or at least every day or every other day i offer people some type of experiential exercise so they can get out of the thinking mind because to me the the, the some of the more interesting parts of this whole trip is that thoughts are not what we think they are and what i mean by that is thoughts are so seductive in terms and faulty of faulty and not true <laughs> they're, they, yeah they, they 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 simply but they portray truth yeah and then and that's and that's why we always think we're right so one of the things you can start with is when was the last time you were wrong mm, and i love and i that. loved asking my students this and, and anytime i'm in a big crowd i'll say you know when was the last time you were wrong and and you could see people looking around going, well, you know, it's almost as if they're, well, 2020, I was fine. 2000, you know, 2022 was good for me. And they go back, you know, it's like, and it really, and it, the, the fact that it's difficult for us to be genuine and say, hey, when was the last time I was wrong? And we really can't think about it. And then you say, well, 
okay, what's wrong with that? <laughs> <laughs> what are the odds, really? <laughs> and so that the whole uh, kind of uh, fortress of thinking, and it just need to really get the thing going. It just needs a little crack somewhere in in, in its shell, and 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 the crack can come through through so many different ways. One is um, putting thinking to the test. And so one of the things I have, uh, I had my students do for a, when we did this whole semester, uh, we had thought journals. And what we would do is we would write down any thoughts that we had about a particular life situation and then give it a confidence rating of how confident we were that that thought was true. And so whether it was test results or, or they had a, an exam coming up or, um, you know, they had to meet someone or they had to give a presentation. And, and, and so these journals were packed with so much confidence. Oh, I'm going to give my talk and, and this, this terrible thing's going to happen. And then we would put all of our thoughts to the test. And so right after the event, we would go back to the journal, reread it, and then test to see how accurate these thoughts were. And I think the best number I got was 50%. The thoughts are right about 50 but that was the best number. <laughs> Some people were absolutely shocked that their thoughts were maybe right 10 to 20% of the time. And this is where we're getting to a very old system that was trying to help us survive an environment that is so different and all it cared about was just survival. So it had to be right just enough to get through this, this physical body to get through for another day. So show experience. These are things, again, you might listen to this, but unless you write it down, journaling is very important because, you know, you're watching, it's an observable thing. You're seeing yourself put the notes down and, and you, you, you know, you, what are you going to think that you made it up yesterday? No, that was, and you gave yourself an eight. You were so sure that that presentation wasn't going to go well. And, um, and then, it, you know, it went, went spectacular or, and, and so our thoughts are so often wrong. And that's, that really is enough to become the observer of the thinking. And then all of a sudden we start realizing not, you know, there's a wonderful meme. It's my favorite that's gone around to every, um, whether it's all social media, it's don't believe everything you think. Mm -hmm. And the best way to get that rolling is to become the observer of how often thoughts are misleading. And once you get that rolling, it's, it's one of the most effective ways. And they can, because it's not necessarily that you're gonna judge your thoughts now, it's just you're not going to take them seriously. And so you, now a thought rolls by, and it does take a little while uh, to undo 20 years of seriousness. But, uh, um, you know, a thought comes by and all of a sudden there's that element of humor, that element of, you know, that's the divine intelligence kind of like that, that has a great sense of humor. And you're starting to connect with that. And so you, every thought isn't going to be taken as seriously. And all of a sudden, and students will talk about this, I often say it's like carrying around a bunch of luggage. No one even asks you to carry around. And all of a sudden you put it down for the first time and you're like, wow, this really feels light. And it feels like, why was I carrying all that? Why was I ever taking all those thoughts seriously? And it's because our culture doesn't really offer, you know, we're a culture that encourages left brain thinking. And you know, we're a culture that doesn't really, we, we're, we're so still in survival mode that that's the ultimate prize and then, and so if you've got an amazing house and you and you and you you've got the corporate game beaten and you and you're making so much money and i mean if we're really honest with ourselves 
like that is the judge of who is successful in, in, in so much of our culture. And um, so it's not a surprise that that would be the dominant mode. And so it's wonderful that we've got your pro, we've got so many programs out there and uh, podcasts and all these wonderful uh, alternatives to the norm. And, 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 and so that shows us there's so many alternatives to the norm right now that shows us that some kind of interesting shift is happening. And it's, it's, it's really uh, fun to be part of it and just kind of see where it's going and, uh, and embrace the mystery of, of the unknown because we are literally going into places um, you know, who knows? Isn't it fun? It's so much fun to be part of it. I always say, like, once once you kind of, like, do have that little peek behind the veil, like, I can't imagine doing anything else with my life than, than like, helping to, like, give that peek to people who maybe haven't had it yet or let's, like, all widen that peek behind the veil. It's so... I love the example that you just gave. It's going in my new book. You'll get all the credit. All my friends are in my new book because I have um, a lot about not believing our thoughts. That's been like longtime joy school teaching, but that's a beautiful exercise to make it happen. And I'm definitely going to be including that. That's that's fantastic. And that's y'all's home play. In case you uh, were unaware, that's what Chris was just giving you is your home play for the next two weeks. Write down your thoughts, record them before an event happens, and then check the accuracy after the event. And it's just that that like proof will be there that believing our thoughts is is such a fool's game. And we all do it. We identify so strongly with our thoughts. The need to be right is so ingrained in us. I don't think necessarily in our inherent humanness, but certainly in our culture from the time we get into school, if you have the right answer, you get stars and praises and everybody thinks you're wonderful. And if you get the wrong answer enough times, you're made to feel less than and insignificant and you feel bad about yourself. So it's like really an emotional thing for us to want to be right right and that means believing our thoughts and our thoughts just come from that tangly web of beliefs that we created from the time we were little that has no bearing in objective reality if there even is such a thing as objective reality yes love that exercise super cool so you talk also about like the many selves that each of us embody throughout the day. We, we talk about that in Joy School also, and, and not only the selves that we see ourselves as, but we exist in the minds of the hundreds of people that we've encountered in the last month in a different form in each of these people. There are all these Chris's walking around out there in the world, depending on, you know, my, my Chris is gonna be different from every other Chris that encounters you today. But I love how you talked about how, how that can free up so much mental energy when we just let ourselves be these different selves. And the flip book. Talk about the flip book. That's such a sweet analogy. So um, the left brain, and there, there's some research in the 70s that really good evidence that the left brain craves consistency. In fact, if the left brain were even turned up a little bit, uh, people's scores on personality tests would correlate better with each other. So they actually became more consistent and so the left brain really is driving because that's, it's telling stories and stories have to have coherency to them, even the story of who you think you are. And so we go through this day putting so much energy trying to be a consistent human being. And I love going back to Alan Watts was one of my teachers in, the, in, the, in a spiritual sense. And, um, and he has a wonderful quote. He said, you're under no obligation to be the same self you were five minutes ago. Mm. And yet there's this hidden assumption that for some reason, we think we have to. Like we, we, it's like we signed a con you never signed a contract that I have to be the same person that I was yesterday. The people around you like it and try to enforce it, but that doesn't mean you have to. 
Well, yeah, and yeah, other people's left brains want me to be predictable because that's <laughs> what the game that them, their left brain is playing. They want predictable Chris. And but the interesting thing is, in the same way that I've got a left brain that wants me to be predictable, and others around me have left brains that wants me to be predictable, they also have access to the greater mystery too. And so what I found is the more I explore these different selves and, and the multiplicity of it, it's kind of amazing when you start going through the day and, and, you, and you shift your attention to, to how much you change. You know, one of the simplest definitions of Buddhism was everything changes. And I, I forget Thanks to give, impermanence, all things are possible. <laughs> and, um, and, and, and so this idea the left brain is continuously trying to put one story and it's, and it's like it's, it's, it's so motivated towards a, co a consistency, but it's just a myth. And so it's it's not so much that, um, um, uh, I mean, you're already so many selves that you just, you're, you're just not really, most people just aren't aware of how much their self changes. And, and we have all these wonderful expressions that, that um, uh, I don't know what came over me. And, mm -hmm. You know, so the left brain tries to tell a story and tries to put it back in there. But when you become the observer of how many selves you are in in one single day, you'll that will start to crack the illusion of this of a consistent self because we are so. Uh, not only are we naturally so different, but when you start embracing it, when you say you know, wake up and you go, you know, you're right. I never did sign a contract, and you and you start exploring all the different selves. Some really wonderful things happen. One, you're going to widen how many cells are willing to take the driving wheel for the day or for the minute or the hour. And that is going, part, part of these cells are, some of them are wildly creative. And so as soon as you open the door and you say, well, I can't, like for me, I was such a terrible, I mean, really good introvert. And when I first started to become a professor, I thought, well, how, how am I gonna do this? And then it really was like, oh, you know, this other self comes on. And I have completely different selves when, when, when I talk on podcasts and when I do interviews and, and then, you know, right after this, uh, you know, go say hi to my wife or something like that's a complete, like, it's a radical different self. It, it's so different that it would, it's almost comical that we even buy into this consistent self when he's they're so, so different. Do you think and that's so, because of the primitive brain too? Because of like the need for the acceptance from the tribe? That's like still just old brain 1.0, right? Oh, Isn't that? I, so we, yeah, we think we have to be consistent to stay in good key standing with the tribe? God, I think you that's such an amazing, super important point. That 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 the that old program, that mind 1.0, is is very tribal. It still wants to be accepted because survival was basically, I mean, that's the short version of how we survived. We survived because we had the capacity to be groups. And um and and and, and so what comes with groups? Conformity. Um, and then you, you, you see this where, um, and this is one of the other practices uh, I'll tell people that like standing in line is a wonderful place to do these exercises because if you're standing in line and let's suppose you just get out of line, you know, that's where that expression, <laughs> you just take two steps to the right and you'll see like people start feeling and you will feel uncomfortable. Like you're feeling, like you'll feel this. I've been doing this, for, and I still feel like the program's still in my head. And so I will feel that program go, get back in line. What are you doing? <laughs> 
And as soon as you get back in line, then you feel that dopamine. Your brain gives you a nice little reward and it says, Go out and just spread a little chaos throughout your day, don't you? Just for grins. And, you know, and, and, but we feel so much better when we're conformist. And again, I don't, I have to be careful with the wording because we are not conformist. Each one of us is a, is a beautiful artwork of randomness and art and just the mystery. The conformist is the program. <laughs> and so, you know, again, if we're going to be careful with our words, don't think of yourself, you are not a conformist, but you do have a program for conformity in your head. And so, and then, and it's all, but when you start observing it, you're like, wow, that, that is, it's a pretty powerful program. It really wants me to get back in line. <laughs> and so sometimes I'll, um, if I'm in line and the person moves ahead of me and, and there's a big space in there and you could feel the tension. People are like, come on, move up a little bit. And, um, and it's just, you know, the other greater consciousness to us is laughing hysterically because, because the whole situation is so funny. Like, why would I have to, take a few steps up, but, and you know, some of some horrible things, most of the horrible things humans have ever done when they're out of conformity. And you say, well, how, how does this fit in with forgiveness? Well, when you get into the multiple selves and you, and you realize, um, look, there's this multiplicity of selves and, and, and some of them are fun and joyful and, 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 and some of them are more mischievous and, and, and rascal-like and, and troublemakers and, and, Sometimes we're so, you know, when it comes to forgiveness, we're always the hardest on ourselves and, and, and we just cannot forgive ourselves. Well, that's, that's the left brain telling you that there's this one consistent self. And one of the wonderful things about the multiple selves hypothesis and, and just not taking any self too seriously is that it really opens up a door for genuine forgiveness. And not just with you forgiving yourself which is just some past self who doesn't even exist anymore except in your mind and and so you have the capacity but then other people who have been really nasty to us and 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 one of the things that hurts so bad is when someone's really nasty to us is that that's the left brain telling that well there's a that self and and one of the things that's really helped me not just with personal forgiveness but forgiveness of others is recognizing that when this person did this nasty thing it was that program you know they're just it's a survival program and and uh it just kicked in you know and it's not even it may not even have kicked in right now so they may not have anything to do with the self that hurt the self that happened 10 years ago or something and so that's a lot of room for forgiveness forgiveness is interesting because we don't really talk about about it very much and you know i got a whole phd in psychology and i thought well it never came up once ever <laughs> <laughs> and so i thought well that was kind of weird that is um, weird <laughs> because it's such an important thing to being human and in but spiritual no circles it comes up a lot just not in psychology you mean yeah spirituality I mean, is all based on forgiveness I think. yeah i mean fortunately we have some other avenues to to get into it but I found that the, the multiple cells was particularly helpful for that. And, and really, the multiple cells is just that there's no consistent self. That the self is like clothes that you put on. And then, you know, you, you, and you put this on one day and then you put something else on, on the, you know, the next day and it's, and it's changing all the time. And, and um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. It, it uh, pulls me into one of the topics I wanted to talk about this week of, of Thanksgiving. Um, the, the right brain 
natural capacity for gratitude and compassion that is just innate to us and we don't always um, recognize it as such. And, uh, and and the the corollary to that, the left brain tendency to want to complain and fight against what is and, oh, this is awful. And um, I invite you to talk about that. There's a wonderful study. I'm, I'm so bad with the actual authors on these types of things. But if you just look up um, uh, mind wandering and unhappiness, and it should be one of the first articles that comes up. And what they found is that one, we mind wander all the time, which is the exact opposite of mindfulness, where mindfulness, you're actually there in the here and now, but mind wandering, you're not in the here and now, you're off in some past thing that happened or some future that might happen. And as we've talked about, so often those thoughts never even come true anyway, so it's really an illusion. But the wonderful thing they did uh, statistically is you could, they looked at their data and they found that the mind wandering was causing unhappiness. And so they were able to look at the, the, the mind wandering. So we wonder like, like we have a really good answer. Like why is mindfulness, why are we all waking up to being where we're at and doing what we're doing? It's like, it's, it's, it's sort of funny. And I don't know if the aliens are watching us, but they're like, wow, look at the humans. They finally got the, the, um, the, the magical power of being in the, in the now it's, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's a trick. It's to being happy. And, um, um, uh, so the, 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 the thing about uh, when it comes to, to gratitude is that it's kind of a very similar thing that I've been talking about for a while now is that like, in the same way you can't think yourself into happiness because thinking wasn't made for you to be happy. Thinking was there to problem solve. Thinking was there to get you out of an evolutionary mess. It was never meant as a path for happiness and it was never meant as a path for gratitude. Thinking was meant to find fault in reality. <laughs> it's there. It's set. Thinking is set up so you can find fault. And, and there's another very interesting study that shows that when we think, when we try to problem solve, we will always reset the problem even after it's been solved. And so they had people, um, all of it was a simple task. It was just push a button if a blue, if a blue circle comes up. And so what the experimenters did, they stopped showing the blue circle. And you say, okay, well, people should stop hitting the button. There's no more blue circle. But they redefined what a blue circle was. So they started hitting it to if it was purple. And, so, and they did all these studies with this. And the amazing thing is they, in some parts of the study, they told them, like, look, we're, like they told them the whole thing. They didn't hide the experiment, and they still did it. Thinking always leads to finding fault because that's what thinking does. So the, to me, the path to gratitude is a path of simply not thinking. And I shouldn't say simply because it, 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 it's one of the trickier things that our species is dealing with right now. Um, but when we get out of the mode of thinking, we get out of the mode of problem solving. And that's when we start to feel the gratitude for being alive. And then that's when, and, you know, you can't sit there and, well, uh, you know, what's my problem today? And at the same time, be grateful that you are a breathing, living, conscious being. But at, at the most fundamental level, um, and I actually, I think I start to work the workbook. I think I started out with this little story about gratitude that if we were not thinking all the time, we would be overwhelmed by the mystery that we are a conscious being right now uh, experiencing this reality. And it would be so overwhelming that we would probably run down the streets like I'm a conscious being, like it would just... It would take us, the gratitude would absolutely take us over. 
if we stop thinking all the time. And so we're, we're always wondering like, well, how do I become more grateful? And, and, and then sometimes we actually feel a little uh, grateful guilt, you yeah. know, <laughs> because we know we should be, we've got all this, and, but, but there's the trick, you know, it's finding a path of gratitude is going to be really difficult if you're thinking your way to it. And there's a wonderful sidestep to it. You get out of thinking and every, every, your whole mode of consciousness changes, your vibe, your feeling changes, and all of a sudden you are instantly grateful for just being alive. So beautiful. Yes, I, we, with, with joy school, I always define joy right off the bat. First thing we do is define joy is who you are at your core, at your essence. Every single one of us came here as joy. We just have these obstructions to joy that we've accumulated, and it's about recognizing and peeling away these different obstructions. I didn't know that that just was our right brain. That's where we are joy, right? The right brain just is, and Jill Bolte-Taylor made that abundantly clear in her beautiful yeah. memoir book. Um, yeah, so so it's true. We are joy, we are gratitude, we are compassion, we are love. And the left brain program, that brain 101 or 10.0, whatever you call it, is what gets in the way of that. And <laughs> yes, so so yeah, I forgot where I was going. Go ahead. Yeah, and and so uh, you know, in the same way that we so many of us think we can think our way to enlightenment and we can think our way to improving our lives, um, but you can't fix a thinking problem with more thinking. That's what I was going to say. That's part of the old programming too, right? I, I remember like Robert Wright uh, wrote about how all of our early programming in our brain was about perpetuation of the species. It was like making the genetics move on, yep. which meant being vigilant for danger and making sure that we had enough to feed our own cave people and our tribe and and all that scarcity that you talked about and the hypervigilance for danger it's all about perpetuation of the species we don't have to worry about that anymore and and when we can get aware of that and put that aside to the little bit that's when we can let that right brain natural compassion and gratitude and for for me and so many others who've described the experience it's once you get beyond that survival mode the gratitude is already there the joy is already there that's that i think hits people to, I, the strangest way because it feels like joy should be something we should work for because that's the way the left brain thinks if i want this i have to work for it and that's not the way joy works i mean it's not the, it's already there um it's it's just noticing it and and the way you notice it is you, you get out of the mode of thinking and um and it doesn't have to be and this is another thing that's really amazing about the, these these uh mysteries that you know it doesn't have to be all day um, in fact, it really, I, I'm kind of surprised how far a little joy goes in your life. Like it can be like the, you know, the, a, one moment of walking into a room and being this, this um, overwhelmed by what it means to be a conscious human being and being alive right now. And you get that one moment and that one moment permeates, it changes the vibe of the rest of the day. And because in the end, when we really, no matter how powerful this thinking program is, it absolutely pales in comparison to our true conscious being and the true conscious being is just so um, infinitely more um, fundamental to our existence 
There you go, y'all. There's your week of thankfulness right there. So well articulated. This has been so amazing. I know we have a workbook to look forward to in, in the coming year, 2023. And what else can people, uh, I know they can find No Self, No Problem on Amazon. And how else can they follow up with you? What you got going on? Uh, check into my YouTube channel. I'm always oh, yeah. doing some really weird stuff that I have no... <laughs> restrictions on how weird that gets i just let it go and and it never feels like i do any of it but i can always tell when i come up with something because it's kind of blah but if, if i if, if it's something bigger than myself then it, it turns out to be kind of interesting and every time you know something speaks to me and then it's just like okay i better do a video on this and that's where i get all those it's not me doing any of it um sort of was joking once in one of the videos that i sort of feel like a game show host that's like i'm just reading cue cards from the universe that's that's what i do <laughs> I love that. <laughs> it's not me and so um yeah check out the youtube channel that's it's a lot of fun at least uh some of us it's an interesting group of people lots of um interesting comments uh keeps me pretty busy with that stuff and then um i do have another book uh, i just i'm maybe tenth of it's written so far and it's really about the power of abstraction and how lost and we can get into these abstract thinking worlds and it's just not reality and i think again to bring one more alan watts quote into it but he said a person who thinks all the time thinks nothing but thoughts and they lose touch with reality and live in a world of illusion and uh the world of illusion is the world with problems <laughs> The world, the real reality is the one with joy and enlightenment and, and, and peace and, and love. And, and, and it's bigger than any of us. Oh, I love that. Oh my gosh. Yeah, on my list of questions that I didn't even look at because we got so into the conversation, I wanted to talk about the whole intuition piece because that's something that in Joy School we've noticed too, that as you bring the vertical self to the foreground, you naturally just become so much more intuitive. I didn't realize that there was a... a scientific reason for that because both of those functions are, are right brain right brain um positioning right just like just sort of quieting the left a little bit so that we can be more connected to the right yeah yeah and there's a neurological reason if you look at the connections the right brain has far more interconnections to it even with language which is something the right brain isn't really specialized at but it's it's connections to words are so much more um um uh, complex than the left brain. That's that's why, you know, if you're writing poetry and you're trying to write left brain poetry, this is a, always a good exercise too. If you're if you're doing poetry, but you're doing it through the lens of the left brain, it's probably going to be pretty uh, not very exciting poetry. And and this is why sometimes when people I had my students that would write poetry and they never liked the exercise. They just they were just so self-critical. And I said, look, it's because the the method that you're using is just you're 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 trying to write poetry with the left brain. It's like writing music with the left brain. It's just, it's just, it's, it, if it's coming from you, and that is to say you're thinking, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be kind of bland. But if you can get to the, the greater mystery, and if you can make those connections, and that's the cool thing about creativity. When someone writes a poem, it's the first time it's ever been connected that in that particular way. So every time you write something, it's, it's the first time. And so, uh, uh, yeah, the right brain just somehow seems to be more reflective of the greater divinity, the greater consciousness. Brilliant. 
Human design is a system that offers profound insights into your inner self and how you interact with the world around you. Quantum human design takes that process one step further, allowing you to become the architect of your own reality. Join Dr. Karen Curry for Elevating Your Life Script, a weekend workshop where you transform your life by crafting intentional narratives, May 24th through 26th at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Well, I would like to talk to you for five more hours, but I want to be respectful of your time. And I'm way over the recommended amount of time for the podcast. So can we do it again? Because I feel like there's so much more to talk about. Okay, so there will be a Chris Niebauer 2.0, not another brain upgrade, but another podcast at some point. Thank you so much, listeners. You have your home play. Have a beautiful, beautiful, blissful week of gratitude. Tap into that space that was so well explored and and articulated today i love you all i'll see you in two weeks joy comes in many flavors but they all start with you being full on glorious you if you'd like some personal love and support along your joy journey find me at lisamccourt.com and as you do your joy this week Remember that you elevating your vibration elevates the vibration of everyone around you and ultimately elevates the vibration of all humanity. Thank you for being a valued member of the team that's bringing more love and joy into the world. We need you. Much love. Are you ready to ignite your best life and illuminate the world? I'm Stephanie James. I'm a motivational speaker, transformation coach, and psychotherapist. And what lights me up is helping people just like you create the greatest versions of themselves. On my podcast, Igniting the Spark, I will help you ignite your joy and reach new heights in your personal and professional life. 
Join me for some incredible conversations with authors, spiritual teachers, and other influential thought leaders to help guide you on your way. If you are ready to stop playing small, join me for Igniting the Spark on the mindbodyspirit.fm network or wherever you get your podcasts and ignite your best life.